When I was three, my parents hauled my brother and I to stay with my aunt and her family in Boston, Massachusetts. We were offered a pretty spacious room in their basement, and I vaguely remember playing in their basketball court and complaining about the swimming pool that was covered because my tiny little brain couldn't comprehend the fact that people don't swim during winter. The reason for this big move was mainly for our family safety, especially during the civil unrest that was rampant in Indonesia in 1998. I was pretty young, so I can't remember much about my time there aside from this one key event, which was definitely one of my first ever memories. So my parents took my brother and I to this department store, which is probably gone now, but I remember that my aunt and her family were also there. We parted ways and ended up heading to the toy section because my brother's birthday was coming up and my parents wanted to get him this Elmo doll for his first ever birthday. They eventually got his birthday present and decided to just stroll around a bit while waiting for my aunt and her family to wrap up doing god knows what. My father eventually realized that he had forgotten to take the receipt for this Elmo doll and he told me that both he and my mother would go back to the cashier so that they could retrieve this receipt, and that I should keep watch of my brother who was in a stroller. Now, first of all, who in their right mind would ask a three-year-old to keep watch of a one-year-old in a department store in a foreign country? They eventually left my brother and I in the middle of an aisle filled with toys, and I was immediately hooked. Imagine tiny little Andy as a cartoon character who just slowly but surely moved away from this stroller that had his baby brother. I was then teleported into another aisle and before long, I realized that not only did I not keep watch of my brother, I was also fucking lost. After a couple of minutes, everything started sinking in, so I just started bawling in the middle of the toy section of this department store. Some of the clerks eventually noticed that there was this little Asian boy with chubby cheeks who was crying and all alone. I think that they were very nice and they managed to calm me down. They offered me some water and also a flick plush to play with so that I would just stop crying. That's Flick from the hit Pixar movie A Bug's Life. At three years old, I could barely speak any English, so... All I could remember saying was, Mother, where are you? Over and over again, because I remembered that exact line from The Land Before Time, which I watched a couple of months prior. After a few hours, yes, a few hours, the clerks had a shift change and informed the other clerks to take care of me, but before the clerks who had completed their shifts went back home, my parents came running to me, and I remember my mother crying and hugging me while my father thanked the clerks for taking care of me. I waved my chubby hand at the direction of the clerks and said goodbye, while my other hand clutched onto this flick plush which they let me keep for one stressful and memorable day. So, my brother got Elmo and a sweet birthday party in snowy Boston, while I got flick and my first ever taste of abandonment. This episode, I'll talk about childhood trauma and my strained relationship with my parents.
Hi, Edgelings. This is Andy or Andrew, and you're listening to Edgy But Like Make It Gay, a rather cringy podcast where I talk about my edgy gay takes on things, either by myself or with friends. It's just going to be me again this episode, as I'm going to revisit some traumatic events during my childhood and to tell you the incredible relationship that I have with my parents. There will be mentions of abuse throughout the episode, so this is another trigger warning. Have fun listening. When talking about my parents, I have to say that I was definitely closer to my mom. She used to work up until she had my brother. Then she stopped to undertake the role of being a housewife. She wants nothing but the best for both her kids in her own ways, and she loves her kids dearly. In her younger days, she used to be in a motorbike gang in her hometown, and overall, I used to admire her a lot, thinking that she was such a great parent, because she never went easy on me. She also likes to play the I gave birth to you so you should love and listen to me unconditionally card whenever I do something wrong in her eyes. This was, of course, very prominent during my teenage rebellious years. My mom, I would say, is also very self-conscious, always taking a long time to groom herself so that nobody would ever think that she looks bad because to her, presentation is key. Moving on to my dad, he's ambitious and hardworking, but I'm not super close with him. I only used to see him three days a week because his business is back in his hometown. I used to watch my mom kiss him goodbye whenever he had to drive back for three hours to go back to his hometown before staying there for four days of the week. He used to tell my brother and I overly glamorized stories like how this one time he drove in the dead of night and a swarm of bats attacked his car or how this other time he saw a humongous white monkey in a graveyard that he passed by during one of his drives. And I think that this is because he wanted both my brother and I to believe that the world is a much bigger and better place than we could have ever imagined. I think that he loves us, but much like any emotionally stunted man, my dad always has a tough time to not only process his emotions, but also to convey them to us. As for me, up until the day I was born, everybody thought that I was going to be a girl because during ultrasounds, I always positioned myself sideways so they couldn't see my penis. This is also why my nursery was decorated in pink with clown dolls and plushies that I eventually grew up loving. On top of it all, because they thought I was a girl, I was almost named Tiffany, a name which I also love. As a child, I would have to say that I was a crybaby. When I was in kindergarten, I remember that I really didn't want my mom to leave me, so I cried and cried until the teachers decided that my mom could just stay right outside the classroom. I also remember that during marching band practice this one time when I was in elementary school, I fell and scraped my knees, so I told everybody that I couldn't move my legs because I was in so much pain. So they let me skip practice for an entire week because I hated it. 
My elementary school years were all quite fuzzy and kind of merged into one because they appeared so similar to a point where it was all mundane. I would wake up to get ready for school. My mom would then serve me breakfast, which most of the time would be rice with a side of fried eggs and sweet soy sauce to top it all off. I normally had breakfast in my room while sitting on this plastic chair with blue legs and red and yellow seat. After showering and brushing my teeth, my dad would then drive me to school and he would wish me a good day as I lug my heavy backpack out the car door and into the classroom. After school, I would be pretty tired, so I took naps which would last, I don't know, one and a half hours or so, and then it was time for my evening tutoring, language, badminton, or music lessons. They would rotate depending on the day. And then it was time for dinner. Think my day would be over by then? Nope. I still had homework to do, and then my mom would quiz me for an hour afterwards to revise whatever it was that I learned at school that day. After I was definitely done for the day, I would pretty much be dead, so I used to pass out around 10pm. This was my routine for years, but I used to feel pretty content. My parents, my mom to be exact, used to have very high expectations of me. Most Asian kids in my generation were raised this way, and it's honestly shitty, especially when realizing that school itself is not the perfect educational system for all kids who have different affinities to different subjects. My mom, however, being on a completely different level, made it a point that I had to either get perfect scores and tests, or at least, if I didn't get a perfect score, I should still be the top of my class. Otherwise, she would beat me up until I realized the mistake and embarrassment that I've inflicted upon her. It really depended on her mood, but she would normally use a wide array of things to beat me up with, ranging from her bare hands to her sandals, belt, or rattan sticks. Looking back, the type of physical abuse to discipline children is of course outrageous, but when I was a kid, a lot of my friends, especially the ones who were considered to be the smartest in class, were also experiencing similar things, so I didn't make much of it. I do think that deep down, of course these parents, including mine, realize that it's not something that they are proud of so they would never physically hurt their children to a point where bruises or marks would be visible on body parts that are not normally covered with clothing articles. One day, I actually lied about being the top of the class for this math test, but somehow, maybe my lie wasn't good enough, so my mom got very skeptical. She then called one of my friend's mom, and she found out that Not only did I not top the class for that test, a lot of other people actually managed to get perfect scores. I remember that I was sweating bullets because what my friends told their parents was definitely out of my control, so I braced myself for a heavy-duty beating. My mom then put down the phone and I thought that she was going to beat me up right there in the living room, but instead... She grabbed my hand and took me into the car before she started driving off somewhere. I then asked her where she was taking me, but there was no response. After a 15-minute drive, 
We arrived in this plain-looking grass field where cows would normally graze. She then told me to get out of the car, and when I hesitated, she shouted at me, and then she got out of the car herself, opened the car door on my side before yanking me out the car while calling me names. I had started crying at that point, but that didn't stop her from dragging me further into this grassy field, and once I was far enough from the car, she let me go, and she told me that I should reflect upon my behavior because she thought that I was nothing but a disappointment to her. She then walked back to the car, and I was so scared that she was never going to love me back after that point in time. Then she started driving away, so I cried even more. I think eventually my crying attracted the attention of the cows that were grazing that afternoon, and they started walking towards me. I was six years old, and these monstrous creatures with mouths that I thought were big enough to gulp my entire body in one go kept creeping in closer and closer to me, and before long, I was surrounded by a herd of cows who were just looking at me, so I just tried being as silent as I could, keeping all the tears inside my eyes because I thought that I was going to die. Evidently, I did not die, and I eventually learned that cows are herbivores, so they started leaving me after approximately five minutes, and then the waterworks started again. After half an hour, I saw that my mom came back to me, and she grabbed my hand softly this time. She caressed my head, and then she led me back into the car, all the while saying that she was only doing this for my own good and that she loved me. I was so happy and relieved because I wasn't abandoned to be with the cows, so I slept soundly that night, satisfied with the brand of love that my mom provided me with. I am, however, lactose intolerant, which I find pretty hilarious while trying to connect the dots between my allergy and my fear of cows from that one time I thought that I almost got eaten by cows. Because of my contribution in terms of winning academic competitions under the school's banner, I wasn't just loved by teachers, but also by a lot of my friends' moms who wished that their kids could have just been more like me, and I ate that validation up. So for the longest of time, it was just me, me, me. No matter the amount of pain that I got from my mother physically hurting me, I thought that as long as it steeled my intelligence and resolve to be the best, I could endure it. Living to impress, I would also have my friends' moms, this group of aunties, who just adored me for my academic prowess and appreciate my cute chubby cheeks. They would touch me or pinch my cheeks inappropriately and oftentimes, however hard they wanted to. I thought that as long as it was about me and I didn't embarrass my parents, I could handle it. There was this one auntie, however, who really got on my nerves because she was pinching me really hard and she left marks on my arms and cheeks. So when I told my mom back home that this auntie was really hurting me, my mom would just tell me to ice it and she also told me that it only happened because people loved me. The next time that this auntie was annoying me physically and hugging me inappropriately, 
I remember that my mom was watching aside from the many other aunties who did the same, presumably waiting for their turn to praise this little boy who thought that whatever achievements he had made was all because of the abuse which he feared would change everybody else's perception of him and his family had it gotten out. While I was still in the arms of this auntie whom I despised, I made sure that everybody was watching, and I thought that I should do something cool for once. So I grabbed this woman's arm slowly, as if I was enjoying being held by her, and before long, I bit her arm really hard for a couple of seconds, and everybody was so surprised. I made sure that I dug my teeth deep enough so that she would bleed, and she did. I eventually let go, and I remember laughing as if I was a Pokemon using the move Bite, but that sense of satisfaction quickly dissipated when my mom slapped me really hard in front of everybody. My mom then apologized to this bleeding auntie, and we quickly went home. I readied myself for another session of beating, which I would be okay with at the time, because I thought that if there was anybody who could hurt me, it would just be my mom, not anybody else. That day, I got what I think is the harshest beating from my mom, because she chose a metal stick to beat me up with. I was so scared of the pain to a point where I would just lie down on the ground, crying as my mom kept on hitting and hitting. Days turned to months, and it was eventually time for one of the biggest competitions that I've ever participated in my entire life. To give you more of a time context, I was 11 years old at the time. After having beaten thousands of other students, I was selected to represent my city on the state level of this honor student competition. The months that I spent preparing myself for this competition were grueling and horrible because I wasn't just required to prepare academic materials, but also arts and crafts, music, and etiquettes, amongst many other topics. Stakes were also high in this competition because I was the only Chinese Indonesian that year, so I already felt alienated from day one, but I had to keep on going. The competition went on for four days, and I was stressed as fuck. On day three, after I'd completed the arts and crafts portion of the competition, I remember going into a toilet stall and cried alone after I peed, because I was so tired, I felt as if my bones were breaking. The final day was the music or talent part of the competition, and I was physically drained. I didn't perform all that well, and my parents, having watched my performance, told me that It's okay to lose because, had I lost, it was probably because of the judges giving preferential treatment to native Indonesians. Hearing that, I was defeated. The next couple of hours were just spent waiting for the announcement, but fortunately enough, through everything that had happened, I won first place. I was beyond happy. I trotted like a horse onto the main stage and then picked up my trophy, which was this gold-plated metallic chalice and my prize money. I could see that from a distance, my parents were so proud of me, and I came rushing back to them. But even before I could giddily show what was written on the trophy, my mom snatched my prize money, 
put it in her bag and then told me that she would keep the money until I was old enough to actually use it. I was slightly taken aback because that was my money. I understood why she took it, but I felt used. I felt like a racehorse. A happy racehorse, still, but I thought I could be happier, you know? Shortly after this competition, my father went to Bali to check on some of his properties and meet up with some of his old friends from Bali. And then something happened that rocked Indonesia's core. Yet another Bali bombing in 2005. Everybody was on the edges of their seat watching the recent development of the areas being bombed. The reason for the series of suicide bombings in 2005 remain unclear. Some say that it was a response to the massive fuel price increase in Indonesia. Some others say that it was plotted by Muslim extremists who wanted to cleanse Indonesia of the corrupt West by killing mostly Australian tourists who often frequent the explosion sites. My mom cried all night and prayed for my dad's safety while my brother and I were worried because we could potentially lose our dad had the bombings continued. My dad eventually hopped on a plane three days after the 2005 Bali bombing, October 4th, 2005, my birthday. My mom, brother, and I were so relieved that he was safe and with us again. He eventually decided that we would go out for dinner at the steakhouse to celebrate my birthday and I was so giddy. He hopped on the driver's seat, my mom on the front passenger seat, and my brother and I were lounging at the back, excited for some delicious steak. And then my dad's phone rang. It was an old Nokia model, which had really loud and shitty speakers. One could hear everything that was being said from the other end, even if it wasn't put on loudspeaker. My dad picked up the phone and told whom he said was a man called Mr. Samudra that he got back home safely and that he was looking forward to meeting him again when he goes back to Bali in a couple of months. My mother got curious and asked him who that was, and my dad told her that it was this old pal of his, Mr. Samudra. My mom was then like, okay, can I borrow your phone for a bit? And my dad hesitantly handed her his phone. She pressed the call button twice to call the most recent number back and put it on loudspeaker this time. Two ringtones later, somebody picked up the phone. It was a woman. And she just said, Hi, baby. Miss me already? It all went downhill from then on, and the relationship that I had with my family cracked. But more on that after the break. My mom was hysterical because her fears were then realized. My dad was actually having an affair with a woman in Bali, not some business development meeting. Everything started sinking in for me because that was not the first time that something like this happened with my dad. It happened once when I was four and once more when I was seven, but they eventually mended things. This time around, things seemed a little different. 
My brother, whom I thought would be too young to understand, was confused, so in the back of the car, I just talked to him about some Game Boy game I really wanted to get. To him, it was just another bickering session between my mom and dad, which they had a lot. Instead of going to the steakhouse, we went home and my mom, who was still hysterical, cried and shouted to a point where I think that the neighbors could make out what was happening back in our house. My grandma, who was also living with us, just looked at my dad with such disgust in her eyes. She eventually whipped something up for my brother and I to have for dinner. She then told us that everything was going to be fine. And my brother just commented that he really wanted steak, but homemade food was good too, I guess. I, on the other hand, just nodded along and told my grandma that I know it was gonna be a-okay. After dinner, my brother and I went back upstairs to listen to round two of my mom and dad's fight. She apparently found a copy of the ID card of my dad's mistress and she called her names. Names that I hadn't even heard before that instance. My dad was just constantly telling my mom to calm down and said that he was sorry and that it wouldn't happen again. My curious brother, who probably also started getting to know what was happening, started rummaging through my dad's backpack. He then found a huge pack of condoms and then went to me and asked what it was. I only had a faint grasp of what they were, partly because internet wasn't a prevalent thing back then, so access to porn was scarce. And then my mom saw the pack of condoms and just stormed out the room. My dad then slowly walked to me and my brother, who still had my dad's pack of condoms in his hands. He slowly took it from my brother's hand and awkwardly started to explain what contraceptives are and how, in the future, we might use them to avoid getting a woman pregnant. I was still trying to process whatever was um, happening with him and my mom, but his response made my blood boil. I idolized both my parents, even with their imperfections, but that night, I felt things cracking, bit by bit, inside of me. I went to my mom and saw that she was packing her stuff in a duffel bag, and I asked her where she was going with the bag. She came to me and hugged me tightly, and then she proceeded to tell me that she loved me, but she just couldn't be in the house anymore. She finished packing, and before long, she took one of the cars and started driving to God knows where. I remember that I was so heartbroken looking at the state of our family, and I only had one person to blame, my dad. I didn't know anything about relationships and marriage at the time. All I knew was that cheating was bad. It was something that had been ingrained in my head all my childhood. I was more than angry. I was furious. I was fuming. I took a knife from the kitchen and went back upstairs where my dad was still trying to explain things to my brother. And then I told my dad to go into the living room, which he did. He also wanted to give me a talk, but I just shouted at him and shut him up. Told him to sit on a chair before I put this knife against his neck. I then asked him if he felt sorry and what he would do to fix this. He looked at me, dead straight in the eyes, with no glint of remorse as a drop of blood trickled down his neck. He then told me, what's done is done. Saying sorry now is not going to fix anything. 
I felt so done with him. So I just told him that he should be ashamed of himself for being a shitty person. My mom eventually called my grandma after a couple of days and she told her that she was staying over at a friend's place for a couple of weeks so she could get her feelings in line. The following months were eerie, especially to me and my brother. My dad stopped trying and he would only come back home once every couple of months and that would just be for a couple of days to see the two of us. I knew for a fact that he started new affairs back in his hometown. My mother came back home eventually. Instead of trying to have a conversation about potential divorce or how to mend things, she decided that vengeance would be the best way to deal with her emotions. Before long, she started going clubbing almost every day with new friends that she made and started having affairs of her own. I was left alone most days with my brother to our own devices. They would just give us money for food delivery or have some caterer drop us food. But my parents, they were just gone. This happened for around three years and I was angry. I think I was especially pissed at them because they weren't there when I was trying to figure out my sexuality. Not that I could tell them anyway because they're highly conservative and we lived in a homophobic country. But to have your parents around or to have them present, I thought that that was at least the bare minimum. That was probably the biggest letdown of my entire teenage phase. News of the crumbling state of my family eventually reached the group of aunties at school and my teachers. Some pitied me, some further alienated me. Some said that, oh, the almighty Andy had fallen because of his shitty parents. This was a direct quote from a friend of mine who retold what his mom told him. Some of my friends' parents even publicly voiced out their concerns about always holding me to such a high standard. Because, in their views, how could a child from a broken family have the integrity and moral values to become a role model to all the kids at school? My parents, who also became aware of this, decided that both my brother and I should just move to another school. And we did. After the move, things didn't get better. My parents still continued their affairs, and since my mom would normally come back home from clubbing at 5 in the morning, I had to calm her down because she would not only come back home drunk, she would also be wailing obscenely and loudly. Since that also registered as me disobeying her, she would beat me up as the sun started to rise and a couple of hours after that, I would have to go to school. For the longest time, I felt responsible for my brother's well-being because I wasn't sure if he was old enough for me to tell him or if I should just keep him in the dark. Maybe a part of me was also afraid that if I said it out loud, things would actually be real. Because of this, I felt like it was at least my responsibility to keep tabs on the status of my dad's and mom's affairs. If there were indications of them separating or them leaving each other for somebody else, I thought that the right thing to do was to prepare my brother. At least... I could give him that. The way I kept tabs on my parents was just very traditional. I would just go through their phones when they were showering. With my dad, I remember looking at countless texts that he exchanged with not one, not two, 
but four different women. Despite the quantity, there were no mentions of him leaving my mom. With my mom, it was more shocking and scarring. I would find her nudes, and teenage me thought that I was mature enough to handle the emotional scars of looking at not only pictures of my mom's boobs and unshaven pussy, but also the texts that she sent to men she was flirting with to accompany the pictures. Ironically, this was also probably why I am, up until today, scared of boobs in general. Since my mom was more accessible than my dad, I could check her phone more frequently, so I watched her shticks getting more and more brazen. You thought me seeing my mom's nudes were traumatic? Try me watching videos of my mom getting fucked by men, or watching her get spit-roasted by two men at once while another woman was recording while touching herself. I remember that um, watching those videos really, um, well, reassured my sexuality because I do remember getting hard, you know, looking at dicks and men on the videos. I mean, I know that they were fucking my mom, but the focus here was the fact that the men turned me on and I somehow, hopefully, managed to compartmentalize between the two. My parents never caught me snooping through their phones, but I remember feeling like I've had enough of this fucking shit, and I really wanted to confront my mom first and my dad second about the bigotry. One time, my mom made a snarky comment about my dad, who was probably off fucking some woman somewhere, and of course, she wasn't wrong, but I couldn't help myself, and I just blurted out, I mean, you're doing the exact same thing anyway, so what's the biggie? My mom dropped the glass of water that she was having, just like a soap opera actress, and asked me, what the fuck did you just say? She then first grabbed her sandals and threw them at me, one of which hit my face, and when she felt like she wasn't done reacting to her son subtly exposing her, she went to the kitchen and grabbed a pot. She then proceeded to hit my head and my back over and over while enduring the beating, I thought to myself that her beating me up this time was different because it wasn't for my self-betterment. And then I had a second realization that, no, the beating that I got when I was a kid was also never okay. So I did something for myself and for the version of me that was crying through the pain of my mom beating me up when I was a kid. I retaliated. I was bigger than her at the time because I was in high school. I thought to myself that, no, I'm not going to take any more of this shit. I grabbed her hand, which was holding onto the pot, and she was shocked. So she gave me one of the hardest slaps that I've ever received from anybody. But I wasn't phased. I looked at her in the eye and pushed her to the ground, and her hand grazed against the pieces of glass that she broke earlier. So she started bleeding. She immediately started crying, and I looked at her with revulsion in my eyes. She returned the look with teary eyes and started yelling about how I was the worst child ever, the worst child a mother could ever hope for, and that she regretted giving birth to me. After three years since the whole kerfuffle started, 
My mom's health deteriorated, and she stopped clubbing shortly afterwards. My father also realized that he had been away for quite some time from his kids, so he made an effort to come back home at least once a month. They still kept some of their affairs until this one night when my brother told me that he wished that he could just be in a normal family, and that broke me. I sat everybody down, my mom, my dad, and my brother, in my parents' room. I told them that they've been shitty parents, and I might not need their guidance anymore because it was way too late for that. But my brother, my brother, deserved at least that. If they didn't change their behavior to their kids, then they should just croak. For once, they listened to me. There were no objections from anybody and they tried mending things the best they knew how. But the damage has been done, and there is no repairing that. There is no way that they could reimburse the years that I spent in the absence of both a mother and a father figure. I grew up respecting and admiring my parents. Then I hated and despised them for who they became. But a huge part of me still believed that If things didn't go the way things went, I wouldn't be like this. So, I do appreciate my mom and dad for scoring so many plus points and so many negative points, ending with a big fat score of fucking zero. One of my most vivid and recent memories that I have about my parents is probably of the time when my mom got a heart attack and because of this, she got into a coma for a couple of days. I was doing my foundation studies in Malaysia at the time and my dad told me to come back home because my mom could actually die. I told him that I really didn't want to because I had a calculus exam in three days and I told him that she was gonna be okay. He then told me that if I didn't come back home, he would disown me. So I painfully got on a plane thinking that it was, it was such bullshit. Yes, I still carried some residual resentment towards them at that point. I got on a cab from the airport and then my dad called me to let me know that my mom was conscious, but she was still heavily sedated as she was still connected to a lot of tubes and wires. Um... And I remember thinking that I might actually feel a lot of emotions at the sight of my mother with medical equipment in and out of her body as if she was at the end of the line. I think that some memories then played through my mind, but I think the one that I can remember the most was probably my earliest one. It was a stormy night and I was maybe two. I was afraid of the thunder and I started tearing up in my nursery. My mom came into my room with a worried look on her face, and, um, we snuggled together. She caressed my hair slowly as she hummed a lullaby, and, um, I remember that was probably the calmest that I've ever felt. I feared having to draw parallels on the spot when I actually saw my mother, between me being scared of the thunder when I was a kid and my mom being scared for her life, in what could be her deathbed. I got to the hospital with my backpack, and I could see not just my dad and my brother, but also my grandma surrounded by both sides of my parents' families. My dad then told me that I should see my mother because she wasn't looking so good. 
I opened the green-colored hospital room door. There she was, looking as if she was ready to go. I witnessed my dad, who was always bickering with my mom, and he just held her hand for the first time in a very, very long time. And he was crying. He was sobbing. My mom, who was partially conscious at the time, opened her eyes, and she also started crying because I was there. The son that she once thought was the best gift from God, and at some other point, the son that she regretted giving birth to. I held her hand and told her that it was going to be all right. All she could mumble through the tube in her mouth was that she really wanted some water because she was so thirsty and her lips were so dry. I then told my mom that she couldn't have water, but I could put water and some tissue paper to wet her lips so that at least her lips wouldn't feel as dry. After having done so, she mumbled that she loved me and she didn't want me to go. I left the room with my dad once she was knocked out once again, and one of my cousins who noticed that I didn't even cry, she got really pissed at me for not showing emotion. She yelled at me, "How could you not cry?" Your mom might die tonight. To which I replied, "If she dies, then she dies. What else can we do but accept it and move on?" All my relatives who heard me saying that looked at me like I'm this emotionless lower life form. My brother punched my side for being so heartless, as teardrops were also flowing down his face. And I think that、um, at that moment, I realized. That at some point in my life, I would be devastated had my mom died. At another point in life, all I could wish for was just for my mom to die. But at that very moment, in that hospital, I felt absolutely nothing, absolute nothing. The realization that I had was much grander than what I could comprehend at first, and it was, thank fuck. I was finally and completely done with my parents. Thanks for the memories, I guess. This is Andy or Andrew, and you're listening to Edgy, but like, make it gay. If you like this cringe fest of a podcast, then I probably like you too. Where did you find this podcast? Spotify, Apple Podcast? Eh, I guess wherever you get your podcast from. Music this episode is by Waterboy and Dream Heaven. New episode coming out in two weeks. Bye bye.